Welcome to Local SEO Today. On this podcast, John Fong interviews business professionals and entrepreneurs in many fields to uncover challenges and successes in business ownership. Our goal is to provide you with insights into the entrepreneurship journey and give you tips and advice from real experience. Brought to you by Local SEO Search based in Toronto, Canada. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode. My guest today is an entrepreneur philosopher, Sid Mohasib. He's a published author, theory entrepreneur, investor, professor, and public speaker. Thank you for joining me today, Sid. Thank you for having me, John. It's a pleasure. Well, I, it's an honor because I, I really am intrigued by your journey. Uh, and that's what piqued my interest to have you on this episode. Um, can you share with our listeners and audience members um, how you got to where you are? Maybe share some of the backstory, your journey, um, so people get a, a handle as how you became who you are? Sure, I can certainly try. Uh, my, uh, my life, uh, if you would, has been uh, filled with different eras, if that makes sense. Uh, so I came to United States as an immigrant when uh, I was about 16 years old. Uh, I came by myself and, and went to school. Uh, and, uh, and then I started my first business when I was in college. Uh, the, uh, uh, it, it was an interesting business about facsimile, which most people may not know what it is now. That's a fax machine uh, and creating a service. And and the idea wasn't originally mine. It was a company called Flying Tigers that hired myself and a friend of mine for a summer uh, training, uh, if you would, internship. Uh, and, uh, and then they went broke. And we took the same idea that needed about $200 million and started it with about, uh, about uh, $8,000 or $9,000 uh, and, uh, and, and that was my first business. Uh, after I, uh, I sold that uh, to my partners, uh, I started uh, as a consultant. So that's, if you would, the first period uh, as a management consultant uh, with a very small firm. Uh, I became their partner about uh, six years later, their youngest partner, uh, and we grew the firm uh, significantly by hundreds and hundreds of people in a very short span of time. Uh, I think the big takeaway there was that uh, one day one of the partners after a couple of years called me into his office and he said, Sid, something is wrong. And I said, what's wrong? He said that, uh, you know, consulting firms work off of these utilization hours and how many hours you're billing, how many hours you're working, and, uh, and, and that's, you know, every hour is, is measured against the, the you know, the, the, the billability. And he said, you have a, uh, over 100% billable time. And I said, well, so? He says, well, you have worked last year 3,000 and, I don't know, 120 hours in the past year. And that in a year, you have 2,080 hours. So you've worked about nine months extra in a month, in here. How does that work? Said, well, I like what I'm doing. And, uh, and, and so that, that the hard work pays 
lesson, if you would. Um, and uh, and that's how I became a partner, just working working hard. Uh, and that was the period that I worked really with a lot of big companies. Um, and I had uh, a boss first who became my partner later on, who gave me tremendous amount of opportunity. He took me as a uh, 25, 26 year old into board meetings with uh, you know, board members at uh, Union Bank and, and McDonnell Douglas. Uh, and it was a tremendous, tremendous experience. Uh, so then uh, in late 80s, I started my own consulting firm, uh, which uh, gave me a, a real big lesson, uh, thinking that I was, uh, I was pretty hot. And I was, I was a close, I had a closing ratio of about 97%, meaning every time I went to a client, 97% uh, of the time, I would walk out with, with an engagement. Uh, I started my own consulting firm and uh, I had a big client, uh, Mattel Toys, called me the next day and they said, hey, we want to give you a project. I said, this is a piece of cake. Uh, and that was the last client I had for about a year and a half after that. I just couldn't get a client. Uh, and I realized it wasn't me that was hot. It was everybody that was building me up and positioning me and so forth. And, and that really gave me the value of the ecosystem uh, and, and how important it is. Uh, so during the, if you would, the next decade or so, I got involved in turnaround uh, business and did some consulting as well. Uh, and along the way, I met some entrepreneurs and some, some opportunities. Uh, and I started a few uh, software companies, uh, purely serendipity. Uh, it wasn't that I was trying to be a software uh, company owner or, or anything like that. Uh, so the turnaround companies was when you buy a company from a bigger entity and then you try to turn it around and make it positive and uh, they're generally uh, companies in trouble. So during that decade or so, I started working with startups and uh, the software side and turnarounds uh, with mid-sized companies. So the first period of my life, if you would, the first decade or so was really big, huge companies. The second period was mid-sized companies and turnarounds and getting my hands dirty in terms of running things and, and, and so forth. Uh, towards the end of uh, the 90s, I, uh, one of those companies that I had, uh, had some success. Uh, it was called Competitive Knowledge. And at some point, it was valued about a, a capitalization of about $100 million. Uh, and then we hit the, uh, uh, the dot-com era, uh, where everything uh, collapsed. Uh, I was lucky enough, uh, uh, I mean, some called me pretty intuitive, pretty, for, you know, having a foresight of some sort, but it wasn't, I think I got lucky by just reading the tea leaves. Uh, I, before we, before we really collapsed, I, I called it and I said, this environment is not something that's going to work. So I was able to actually, uh, return some money to venture capital folks and so forth. Uh, and that was, uh, again, another period of my life. Uh, I started then the third, uh, big chunk. Uh, I started a company, actually, we did a carve out, bought a piece of a company in Orange County. And uh, this uh, is when I got a little more uh, experience in international markets, where I opened an office in, in, in China, in, in Hong Kong, 
had offices in Europe and in the U.S. and uh, really in the distribution business, worked with uh, thousands of uh, companies around around the globe. Uh, so that takes us uh, about 30 years or so. Uh, that tells you, I, I guess I'm aging myself. Well, uh, that's amazing. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to drill in and uh, sorry to cut you off because I know there's a lot of gaps in there. And maybe <laughs> I'm going to jump in and maybe. Sure, you. sure. Where did you originally come from to then immigrate? And eventually, did you bring your family over or was it more for studying? Like, what was your upbringing like? So I came from Iran. Uh, okay. And this was uh, about two, three years before the, uh, the revolution that happened there. And uh, I came to study. Uh, and, uh, and then very quickly, we had the revolution there. Uh, so my parents uh, couldn't come. I couldn't go. Uh, I think uh, the first time I saw my parents after that was about uh, 10 years later when they visited. Uh, and, uh, and basically, my friends became my family. I have friends mm -hmm. here uh, from 40 some odd years ago that, uh, that we're, we're really close we still see each other. That's an un, you know, unlikely scenario. People don't have uh, that many friends that are that old. We are a group of 10, you know, 15 people that, that we're still together and we'll see each other because it was, uh, we, we created a, essentially a pseudo system, ecosystem, support system uh, that was basically uh, with friends. Um, and uh, the family then came for visit, but they, they never came to stay. Uh, so pretty much, uh, uh, pretty much I had disconnected, if you would, in a way, uh, in terms of uh, really living in Iran or, or having, uh, you know, much, uh, much to do with Iran. Uh, I would imagine the culture being completely different because even myself, my parents came from Vietnam. Yeah. And I know a lot of friends from Iran that came to Canada. That's where I live right now. And just that nuance of how things work, how the school system, the public system, the private sector works. Um, did your parents give you that strong foundation to prepare you for the American way of living? Or did you have to engulf yourself while you were here at an early age? I think my, my parents... Uh my parents gave me a foundation that was a, I, I, I would call it a mental foundation. Okay. Uh, not necessarily, I didn't speak that much English when I came and I came because uh, I, I decided to come at, at 15 years old. I was, uh, uh, I went to the hospital because I had some stomach pain and I was reading a lot of magazines and a lot of, lot of, you know, newspapers and stuff like that. And somehow I had the brilliant idea that I have to, come to the United States to study. Uh, and when I told my parents, they said, absolutely not. Uh, particularly because I have a disease called hemophilia, uh, which is a blood disorder. So they were very concerned about that. But I think, um, I, I think uh, it, it, uh, it was the foundation that they provided me mentally uh, that, that provided me. Actually, in my latest book, I have, uh, I, I talk about how that happened and, 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 and the lessons for it. 
because I think it's an important, uh, it was an important lesson for me as well. Yeah. Um, so no, that's great. Like yeah, putting so. yourself out there, like letting people know your perspective is completely different, right? A lot of people don't go through that immigration journey, right? A lot of the Americans or Canadians that live here are second, third generation. So they don't understand what's really going on when you're new to the country, language, culture, and how everything operates and works, right? So you're, you're thrown into this kind of environment and then you created a network of friends, social circle that you still connected with now. And throughout those years, like why that entrepreneurial bug? Like you could have gone on any direction in terms of college, career, skills, opportunities, but what drove you to push into entrepreneurship? So I did a, a, a podcast with, uh, uh, with, with some folks. I did ask a couple with the folks that focus on immigrants and how do they come and, and all that. Um, and, uh, and, and one of the things we talked about, which connects who I am, uh, you know, the, people call me the entrepreneur philosopher as you, as, as you introduced me as well at the beginning. Uh, I fundamentally believe that we are all entrepreneurs, every one of us. Uh, we have the talent. Uh, and again, I'll go through great lengths in my book, in my last book, You Are Not Them, to explain why I make that claim. Uh, the entrepreneurship is about taking what you have, your situation, whatever, whatever that situation is, whatever your origins are, and aiming, trying to change that with a better situation. So you're exchanging what you have with something better, knowing that it's not guaranteed. There's a risk. Nothing is guaranteed in life. So all immigrants are particularly active entrepreneurs because they move from where they are, knowing that there's lots of difficulties. And in some folks, in my case, it wasn't as difficult as coming from some uh, countries where you know kids are under guns and drugs and this and that and they have to you know escape tremendous poverty and and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, but in a lot of cases, people who are immigrants, they are truly exercising their entrepreneurial talent. They take what they have and they want to exchange it with something better, knowing that there is risk. So uh, I believe that we're all entrepreneurs. <laughs> Now, how do we apply our entrepreneurship is different. And it has to do with, with, with different situations. So if we're exchanging, if the definition is exchanging what you have with something better, uh, I would say uh, a mother, uh, a, a housewife, or, or somebody who works 16 hours uh, and, and collects a paycheck and then brings that paycheck home in order to exchange that for a better life for their kids is exercising entrepreneurship within the context of what they are. If somebody is even in a corporate environment, uh, everybody's there is trying to make a better life for themselves. They're trying to move up the ladder. They're trying, and they're also constantly changing their situation with something better. They're exercising that every day at work. If they don't, they, tank they can't take a situation they're given and they can't improve it. They're, they're in the business of improving the situation for the customer, for the company, for whatever it is. So they're constantly doing that. But in the corporate world, 
you're exchanging all of that in order to get a better paycheck, in order to move the corporate ladder, get a better title. So we have people that are on either extreme of things. You have people who are, uh, what I say, in denial. So you look at Elon Musk and say, ooh, if this guy is an entrepreneur, then sure as hell I'm not. Uh, uh, so you're in denial. Then you have people who are hustlers, if you would, weekend entrepreneurs. They're trying to do something because they don't quite trust themselves. They don't trust in their abilities and they're trying to be risk averse. Then you have, you know, the corporate entrepreneurs and then you have some folks on the ultimate end of the spectrum I call misguided. They think, fast-talking and bamboozling others is about entrepreneurship. No, that's being crooked. Uh, so the talent we all have, how we apply it is, is different. Now, if you look at back to my life and what you asked, why did I pick to be an entrepreneur? Well, I was an entrepreneur. I just started exercising it, and I did it in different environments, if you can notice. So I did it while I was in college, starting that, that business, then I did it when I got into a, uh, in, into a company as a consultant. So I was a consultant. I was working somewhere. Uh, but by exchanging my hours, my time, my effort, I tried to improve myself and became a partner. And then I was trying to exchange my knowledge and capabilities in, in turnaround situations to turn companies around and exchange that with more success or more money or whatever you want. So if you look at everything that I've done, they're not the same. But it's about an exchange. So there's an entrepreneurship element in it. And, uh, you know, maybe my risk tolerance is a little bit higher. Uh, maybe, uh, uh, maybe my ability to see things uh, sometimes too early uh, is, is different than others. But we all have different talents and we have come from different origins. As long as we find our own authentic way. And that's, that's what all, you know, the, 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 this thing they call me entrepreneurship philosopher, that's just the reason. The reason is I'm saying you have to find your own personal entrepreneurial philosophy in order to be successful. Because, John, let's face it, you and I are not Steve Jobs. Uh, about seven other billion people on the face of the earth. We're not Bill Gates. We're not Elon Musk. We're not Warren Buffett. We're different than them. Guess what? They're all different from each other. They have a different risk profile. They have a different personality. They have a different approach of life. They have a different uh, set of priorities. We're all different. The reason one group of people as entrepreneurs in business or in corporate, however you want to define them, are successful is because they are authentic. They are, they have an, uh, an ability to take who they are and improve it and make a better version of themselves. So I always say that you're both the artist, all of us, we are the artist and we are the art. We're both Michelangelo and uh, you know, the, the, the Sistine Chapel. We're both the, uh, uh, the, the Mona Lisa and Da Vinci. We're the sculptor and the sculpture. The question is, how do we shape ourselves and how do we evolve ourselves over time? Because it's not, life is not a picture, it's a movie. And, uh, and some people look for, you know, how-tos in terms of, uh, uh, let's get a how-to uh, book off of, uh, you know, off the shelf and let's follow this and we're going to be successful. That doesn't work. 
It doesn't work because life is not like an Ikea that you go and buy a bookcase and then look at the how-tos and you put it together. There's so many different variables. I come from a different place. You come from a different place. My family is wealthy. Yours is not. I am white. You are black. I am... Uh, I, I, I come from uh, uh, a particular family that has a different uh, value for education. Uh, you come from you know, a working class family. I, I've had, uh, I'm, I'm married to this person, have two kids, you have no kids. There are so many different variables that makes you and I completely different. That makes everybody different. So the question is, how do we take those differences on our own and we create our own version uh, our own philosophy and how we then evolve that because the world is evolving and changing. Totally. So growing up, I wanted to ask you, um, did you envision yourself being where you're at today? Um, like what was your kind of dream job, your dream life? What did you want to become when you were younger, your younger self? Uh, it may sound silly, <laughs> Because I know a lot of, uh, a lot of folks, uh, uh, particularly those who are successful, uh, have routines and they have early visions and, and, and they have a dream that they're... I really didn't. Uh, I'm actually against this idea of vision board. And, and usually people push back at me. You know what these vision boards are. You put who you want to be on a, on a, on a page, on a on a board of some sort, and then you look at it and you say, well, if I'm 12 years old or 20 years old and I put a vision board together, I'm doing it based on my knowledge, based on my experience, based on, my, uh, based on who I am as a 20-year-old. So why does that make a good vision? It doesn't make a good vision. What is my judgment at 20-year-old in terms of who I want to be? The idea is, can I evolve who I want to be and take opportunities as they come? Now, if you look, I've done a lot of di different things um, and, I, and I wouldn't change it. I think I have tried, I've failed many times, succeeded many, uh, but I've tried to be open to opportunities. Uh, and I say, and, and you, again, you would see from the way I look at things, for example, I look at risk uh, and, and entrepreneurship. I say entrepreneurs are not risk takers. They're risk navigators. That means risk takers are in Las Vegas. Now you go and you throw the dice and see what, what, what happens. That's, that's risk taking. Part of it has to do with luck. But risk navigators are navigating risk based on an understanding and knowledge of situations and looking at the probabilities of which path is better. So... Uh, so if you're closed to looking at opportunities ahead of you, you're not navigating risk. You're sticking with the simplest thing that's possible. And as a result, you're compromising your future. Yes, we could all lock our doors in, 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 in our room and, and do nothing and hope somebody would give us a, 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 you know, a, a dish of, of food and we have a restroom and that's all we need. Well, risk is minimized, but that is not life. That is not growth. That's not prosperity. Yes, uh, it, is, it is a life, but, but it's not, it doesn't provide you prosperity. The other thing I believe, and I've believed this from young age, is this idea of not leaving uh, change to chance. Change happens. Change is good. Actually, I say change is our best friend. Imagine this, John, if there was no change, 
zero change. It was always spring, always 72 degrees, always you would have hamburgers for lunch. If you have a kid, that kid is always five years old, never grows, never gets married, never goes to college, never does anything. And you're exactly the same place that you have always been. You, you, you do this podcast and you do it every day, the same way, the same place, because there is no change. The questions are the same. The answers are the same. Without change, there wouldn't be any choice. There wouldn't be any choice. We can't, we can't, if there's no change, we can't choose between A and B. There wouldn't be any prosperity. There wouldn't be any love. There wouldn't be any progress. There wouldn't be any caring. There wouldn't be nothing. No careers. So change is good. The question is, how do we embrace that change? How do we embrace the choices and evaluate the choices that it offers us? And that, I believe, is the essence of entrepreneurship, to evaluate the choices, to even, to even ignite more change. So we have more choices. And that, that's how prosperity, I think, becomes crystallized. And, 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 and it's not, for everybody, it's not the same. For me, it's maybe been different than, than many others. Uh, and, you know, I've gone from running companies to being consultant to Fortune 500 CEOs to, uh, you know, to writing books <laughs> to, you know, to being an investor. And I've made lots of investments in early stage companies. Uh, so for me, the choice has been as they've come, I've tried to embrace them. And that's what I that's what I suggest to folks in terms of realizing who they are, how to navigate risk as a pilot because, you know, pilots navigate risk every day. Uh, but there are different kinds of pilots. There are commercial pilots. They go from point A to point B. They have a checklist. They check, 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 get on the plane and, and fly. And then you have the, uh, uh, the fighter jet pilots who are faced with enemies, uh, you know, uh, throwing things at you. And, and like a startup, not maybe running up out of fuel, no money. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and, and a different set of risks uh, that, that they face. So depending on how you define who you are and how you navigate risk, that's how you would find the different opportunities that, that would come your way. Those are great uh, concepts and uh, perspective that you brought up. I wanted to ask you, because it seems like you have a wealth of knowledge, years of experience, um, and you've worked with thousands of or if not hundreds of other entrepreneurs, business owners through consulting and some of the largest companies, what kind of synergies were, are there in people's intention? Because what I hear from you is, yes, there's risk. Yes, there's action. Yes, there's curiosity. Yes, there's people that ignite and move forward, grow, right? And that's the whole premise of, I, I feel a lot of people are stagnant because they're so risk averse, right? So they get a steady paycheck or they, they want to stay with a company because of that holiday of three weeks or pension or whatever it is, right? However, more risk averse you are, then there's more opportunities. And the more challenges and harder it is, then there's also a lot of risk. Like there's failure that's a potential, but there's also a huge abundance of growth and um, success that may come out of it. What were some of the some of the things that you can gauge from all these interactions that you may would like to share with some of the audience members? Because it seems like you've worked with so many of them. I have worked with many. So let me 
let me expand on you had a few ideas there <coughs> that that's worth exploring first let's get take the person that you say he or she is at a job and is uh, uh, likes the security likes the vacation likes it so when I say all of us are entrepreneurs and we're exchanging something for other that person is also an entrepreneur but he or she has defined the better in a different way so if I, you may define better as you have a better house and more money and and I may define better as having more time with my kids so i'm exchanging what i have which is my time my resource my mind my all, all of who i am and i go to work and i spend 8 hours at that in order to exchange what i have with something better being able to at 5:00 go to a baseball game with my kid so i am entrepreneurial except i don't realize that i'm entrepreneurial i don't realize that i have done that and what is the risk the risk is well i may not be able to pay for my kid to go to harvard the risk is i may not be able to pay for uh, uh, i don't know uh, tutors that uh, that would get my kid to harvard i may i may not realize that i can't have a bigger house or i may not realize it but if i realize it and i'm consciously exchanging that that's purely entrepreneurial that's navigating the risk knowing what the exchanges are so for example i say martin luther king or even mother teresa they were gandhi was an entrepreneur they exchanged what they have with something they believed in so and they believed that, that that's the right thing to do knowing that there is some risk there is risk to be killed there is risk for people not to be there is a risk so the risk changes in terms of context and the benefits change in terms of context but the exchange is there for all of us now you said in all the people that i have seen do i see a pattern of uh, of who who is more successful who uh, and i have to say something that may sound a little silly but it's it's those who are authentic those who are not a copy those who realize that they are not them it's not that they're fearless no it's not that they don't get nervous no it's not that they don't make mistakes no it's not that they are super intelligent or super uh, uh, super accomplished academically no uh, it's not that they're hustlers and they work too hard because that doesn't just working hard doesn't necessarily translates into results it's just you know Uh, we 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 have a you know we, we can have a uh, a mouse and a you know go around running around and then they're working hard but that doesn't necessarily produce any results so uh, i think i think being authentic and having their own philosophy of approaching things in a consistent manner is a key so let me uh, let me expand that a little bit. so if you have a way of looking at life you have a way of dealing with situations that is your own then as choices come your way as you face situations that those choices go through the filter of your mindset and because of that you choose a versus b we all do that doesn't matter if you go on the street you want to make a left turn or a right turn i'll give you an example my wife always likes to go the same way 
So if we go to uh, you know, her mom's place, we always take the same place. Me, I take different roads. I don't like to go the same place the same way. That's her choice. That's mine. We all make choices as we do that. So the key is that what is, what is authentic, if you have your own uh, entrepreneurial philosophy, what becomes authentic is the way you look at choices and you make choice A versus choice B. But then because you have a system of mindset, your choices are consistent. They are consistent. And they connect from where you think about something, you plan, you strategize, to how you do things, to how you communicate things with others. So all of that becomes consistent. And guess what? Consistent, focused things get to results faster. So by having a systematic way of, of having these things, from planning all the way to execution and doing, you just become more effective because you have a consistent way of looking at challenges and situations. Now, uh, the, 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 the thing when I talk about entrepreneurial philosophy, it's very different than your beliefs. Your beliefs is a part of this. So let me give you an example. I do believe that all people are equal. All people are equal. But when I'm running a company, all my employees are not equal. Someone is contributing more, someone is contributing less. Someone is in the warehouse, somebody is in the R&D department. Somebody is in public relations, some, somebody is in customer service. Somebody is working 16 hours a day, somebody is goofing off two hours a week. So they're not the same. So from a belief perspective, I do believe all people are equal. But from an entrepreneurial philosophy perspective, I have to realize the contribution of people are different. Now, when, when we talk about entrepreneurial philosophy and what we have, it's not constant. It's not fixed. It's an evolving factor because for us to remain relevant to the world, we have to change. So uh, consider uh, Kodak, consider... Fuji film and they 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 you know they they rejected uh, using uh, uh, digital films okay then they're gone. Uh, consider BlackBerry as a cell phone, which was everybody at some point had BlackBerry. It was the and and where are they now? It's just limited market, less than point point zero 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 five percent of the market because they didn't stay relevant. And they didn't stay relevant because they were fixed. They were fixated on who they are and not who they can be. So that journey is the journey of a process. And that kind of goes to my first book that was about the caterpillar's edge. You know, a caterpillar, before it becomes a butterfly, it goes through many stages. And the process is very gooey. It's very messy. It's not like the caterpillar sleeps one night and wakes up a butterfly goes through metamorphosis that's very, very complicated. You know, a, a, a caterpillar has about 4,000 muscles. You and I have about, as humans, we have about 600 muscles. A caterpillar changes those 4,000 muscles to go from one kind of species completely to another who can fly. So 
this process takes time. And it's not just overnight, and it's constant. And guess what? When, when uh, the butterfly uh, is born, one of the first things that the butterfly does is to lay eggs for the next caterpillar. So the circle continues. So this idea that, okay, here's who we are. We're now read 17 books and we're all good. And that doesn't, that doesn't make you a true entrepreneur who's always exchanging. And I say, practicing entrepreneurs are always an apprentice. They're always learning. They're always looking to exchange what they have with something better. They're not satisfied. And it's not just because of money. They're not satisfied because they think that they deserve more, and they do. They think they deserve more, and they think they can get more, and they can. So that process is what's common along all those people that you think are, the people that I see are successful, they have a mission, they have a cause, they know themselves, they're not afraid of losing, but they're not stupid enough to, to jump into risks without having the knowledge of it. They may get momentarily success by taking, you know, un unreasonable risks. Yes, you, you, you can get lucky. But if you look at the consistent entrepreneurs that have been successful, they have a way of looking at things themselves. They're, and, they, and they leverage their origins and originality. And they have their own unique way of being authentic in their leadership. It's not the same. Not all leaders are born the same <clears throat> and not our followers are born the same. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, I know that there were a lot of points there that you mentioned. Um, can you maybe stipulate some of the, the biggest mistakes that you made over the years and maybe share with that how you overcame them or what did you do differently um, after you uh, were engulfed in that mistake? Did it lose you a lot of money, set you back a couple of years, uh, tarnish some relationships? Like what were some of the biggest failures and mistakes and what have you learned from since then? So, so let me, let me uh, separate from a definition perspective. I, I, I think a mistake is when you do something, the outcome is unpleasant, but you don't learn from it. That's a mistake. Uh, a failure is when something didn't work and you've turned it into a learning experience. So I've tried to avoid mistakes, if that makes sense. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll give you some. I gave you, I gave you one uh, when, when I started in my background. Uh, when I left the consulting firm in, in, in the 80s and, and started my own firm, I thought that I was all that. I thought, uh, you know, this all the success that I had as a partner of that old consulting firm was all mine. It wasn't. It was because everybody else was supporting me. I had ignored the power of the ecosystem, the power of others. So this has become one of the things that I have carried my, uh, my, my entire life. I am not the one who's doing it. I am, I am just the, the, the one element in the cog here. Sometimes I'm the lead, sometimes I'm the back, but it's, it's not me. It's everybody else that's, uh, that's in the process. Unless I want to build something, I want to think about something, 
design something, manufacture something, build it, market it, and sell it to myself, and then pay for it myself and use it myself. I need somebody else. I need somebody to help me in designing it. I need somebody to help me in making it. I need somebody to buy it. So uh, the power of ecosystem is, is one uh, massive learning over, over time. Uh, another thing that, that uh, I, can, I can think of uh, in terms of uh, failures that have turned into uh, successes or learnings, if you would. Uh, I have a tendency of being ahead of market. It's my fault. And I have learned that I have pushed that uh, sometimes to, uh, to my own detriment. Uh, if the market is not ready for who you are, what you do, the market is not ready. It's not how brilliant it is. It's how relevant you are to accept them. So I've had ideas. Uh, I, I mentioned one, the competitive knowledge one that in the dot-com era didn't work. That was about aggregating data over the net and creating KPIs that goes across the supply chain. About 30 years later, people are starting to do it now. The time was wrong then. It, the, the, the environment wasn't there. The people weren't thinking that way. Uh, it was a good idea, but it wasn't. So I have learned not to, not to ignore the market signals, not to ignore my environment. I am only as effective when the audience can hear what I'm saying and absorb what I'm saying and act on what I'm saying. I'm not effective in, in an enclosed room just having ideas. Relevance is important. So... Those are a couple of things, real real life situations that uh, that I can share with you. No, that's great. I, I love that. Thanks a lot, Sid. Um, one of the things I always want to find out is like, what does success look at, like for you today versus when you were in your twenties, thirties, and forties? Um, because it's always a moving target, and it seems like during these lifespan stages in your life, um, I know it's you know, personalized to your situation, right? Because you go through, you know, career, family, job, entrepreneur, VC, whatever, startup, speaker, author, there's all these stages. Where do you see your stage today? And where do you want it to push yourself for the next 10, 20, 30 more years? So uh, I'm going to ignore the mechanical successes. And this is what I mean. Mechanical successes, if you're a consultant, getting a project or two projects or five projects or moving from, from a manager to a director to a part. Those are short-term goals that have to do with careers that all of us have had. And, and it's, yes, it is considered success if you move from one position to another position. Um, so that could be, I mean, if I'm uh, making looking at it as an investor, that could be, well, how many deals did I invest in? How many of them have an exit? How many went IPO? How many failed? Those things are you know, considered what I call mechanical things in whatever you're doing. You know, if you're working for a company, it's, well, uh, did you get awards for what you did? did? Were you recognized? Did you get a promotion? Those are mechanical things. Uh, but but from, a, from a personal perspective, development perspective, <clears throat> I think... Um, Success uh, uh, 
has has been kind of an evolving thing for me as well. One that has been critical is is building trust. That is, if people are trusting me and I'm delivering on that trust, I consider myself successful. Now that could be in any situation. Again, this goes back to the idea of the ecosystem. This goes back. I am who I am because people trusted me. They trusted me if I was a consultant with what I said. They trusted me as a boss if I was if they were my employees. They trusted me as a as an investor to listen to me and to work with me, or you know, they trusted me uh, as a, as a, as a professor uh, when I when I go to school and I teach. Uh, the students have to trust you. Uh, so trust is at the core of, I think, one of the key elements that I, I would call uh, success. Um, the, the other things, as, as I am now, uh, I do three things, four things now, as, as, as you mentioned, but they're very closely connected. Um, I, I teach at university, both in the engineering school and the business school at, at uh, USC, University of Southern California here. Uh, I, uh, I write uh, lots of articles. Uh, my articles are you know, often in Time, in Newsweek, in USA Today, in Independent, in Foreign Policy, uh, Startup Nation, all, all sorts of different publications. Um, I've got cases at Harvard Business Review, uh, cases that, uh, that are more academic. So there's an academic element to me. There is a writing element. This is, as, as, as you mentioned, uh, I am an author. I've got my, my recent book is You Are Not Them. Uh, and, uh, and the previous one I mentioned, The Caterpillar's Edge, they're both uh, bestsellers. They're doing well. Uh, and again, it's about, you can see, imparting knowledge of what I've learned to students or via uh, the writing. And then I, I need to stay as a practitioner. So I make investments in early stage companies and I stay active as an advisor to select companies. So I'm constantly looking at new ideas, new challenges, so that what I preach is not disconnected with what, what, what happens. So if you look at all those three things, my success today is to be able to impart this idea to people. John, you are an entrepreneur. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter how much education you have or you don't. Doesn't matter if you're poor. You are an entrepreneur. This talent of exchanging something you have for something better is within you. This is my mission. Is to, is to tell people and, and try to provoke them to look at that talent and apply it. Why? Because I believe that our world is changing significantly. I believe that we are at a critical juncture in our life. And what I'm saying, not in our life, in human life, this is uh, a period of inflection where we are relying more and more on machines, uh, artificial intelligence and all that. And, and regardless of how people are fearful of it, uh, the, the greed of what, tremendous productivity it will bring, it will overcome us, and we, we, will, we will get to a place where lots of AI will be driving our lives. And I believe that it is time for us to evolve to our next stage of being, and that is about how we exchange what we have with something better, 
and how we define that something better. So I think entrepreneurship is at the cornerstone of the next 50, 60 years of our lives, of, of how do we become and how do we choose to be creative as opposed to try to fight uh, AI machines that, uh, and, and be fearful that they're going to be replacing us. The reason we feel that we're, they're replacing us is because we feel that we don't have the ability to exchange what we have with something better. We believe that this is what we have. The artificial intelligence and the machines are going to come and take over what we have. Not realizing that what we have is subject to improvement. And we are the artist and we are the art and we can take that and improve it. So that's what I call success. If I have in, in, in your show, if I have touched one person, I've succeeded. That's amazing, Sid. I know you've uh, spent a lot of time here giving a lot of good insights, value to all our listeners. Um, how can some of the listeners get in touch with you, uh, reach out to you if, you if they have any questions, and maybe get them to buy your book, right? The newest one that you have, You Are Not Them. Yes. Um, you don't mind sharing with the audience members the way sure. so you are not them is is on amazon and they can get it in both uh uh written form or the you know electronic form uh it's called you are not them the authentic entrepreneur's way and as i mentioned it talks about uh you know the entrepreneurial philosophy how do you build it change fear uh, nervousness, mindset, uh, the idea of being a pilot. And, and I even use, a, uh, I use a lot of analogies, as you can already see. Uh, on, on how, do you, how, are you, how can you be a dancer when it comes to execution, as opposed to you know, how people define life and, and execution as a fight. Uh, so the book is on Amazon. And, uh, and you can search it under my name, Sid Mohasseb, which is M-O-H-A-S-S-E-B, uh, or the name of the book. Uh, and the way to contact me is also uh, through my first name and last name as an email. So it's Sid at Mohasseb.com. Or, uh, you know, or you can go to my various sites and places. If you go to Mohasseb.com, uh, you'll, you'll find uh, some of my links to my articles, uh, uh, links to my speaking engagement activities, my consulting and advisory activities, and so forth. So I'm pretty easy. If you just type in my name, I'm pretty easy to find. Amazing. Well, I really want to thank you for all the time that you devoted to the show. Um, do you have any final uh, departing words that you would like to share um, with the audience members? Don't leave change to chance. That's what I've learned from the early age. Don't leave change to chance. Great. That's great insight. Thanks a lot again, Sid. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Please subscribe to Local SEO Today and tune in to our next episode.